lives, they, they live a devotional life. And so basically what it is, is they work to appease God through their actions and through their lifestyle and through their things. And that's basically their total experience is just, you know, I'm going to be a good person. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And the whole reason for the cross is not to bring you into that. The whole reason of the cross is to cause Christ to be formed within you to where he lives his life through your life. And that's a totally different mindset. Now, does that require disciplines? Absolutely. Does it require holiness and separation? Absolutely, it does. However, most people's Christian life is, is not got life in it because they haven't understood that they're a new creation and that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. And, you know, I, you know, people that will say stuff like, uh, you know, why do you teach uh, uh, from movies? And why do you teach from, you know, popular music and things of that nature? Well, I'll tell you this. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Now, we like to emphasize not of the world, and we de-emphasize that we're in the world. Come on now. You've got to understand that there's an enemy running around. And that he seeks to deceive you. And that the whole purpose of truth is to keep you from deception. Is to keep you from being deceived. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, the deception is getting more and more and more. See, we need to understand that the devil plays all sides. He doesn't just play one side. The devil's a Republican and a Democrat. He's also an Independent. He plays them all. So here we got Bill Gates on one side and we go, boo, Bill Gates. Then we got Elon Musk on the other side, and we say, yay, Elon Musk. They're on the same team. What is the purpose of having those kind of diametric uh, opposed uh, personalities? The reason is to create divisions and schisms within humanity. You have to understand that. There's no right and there's no left, friends. Amen. You've got to understand you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You don't think like the world. You're a new creation. You're not in Adam. You're in Christ. So that means you're anointed by the Holy Spirit to live in these end times, to see things that no one else sees, to know things no one else knows, and to be able to speak to things through the authority that has been given you in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's time to put down, you know, this, uh, the fact, oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta go to church as a duty and, and I gotta tithe as duty. You need to understand it's life. That's, that's how you live life. That's new creation life. Because there's people chalking up, you know, points, thinking that they're getting more and more, uh, closer with God by what they do. And that ain't ever how it works. God looks on the heart. See, you can do everything right in the flesh and not have the right heart. Amen? Come on now. Okay, I'm, I'm meddling, I know. Okay. So, we're starting this imager series. And uh, basically what it is, is, is reacquainting you with who you really are. 
See, that's the problem. Most believers don't know who they are. They have no concept of what Jesus has done within them, so they live lives of slavery. Now, they, they're out having fun, doing all stuff, and they really think they're free. They do. But we understand that that's really not true freedom because the end result is death. Amen? So we've got to understand who we were created to be and what the original intent of humanity was. So we have to go back to the beginning. And I know, you know, sometimes when we talk about the beginning, we talk about, oh, you know, I have to. Because, see, the, the, the church has, has diminished the Old Testament. We've diminished it. And it really, the, the most useless page in your Bible is the page in the middle that says Old and New Testament. You just need to tear that out because it's all one book. Okay? And so in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. And so we have to understand that, that everything works and flows together and that we shouldn't put aside and say, well, that's the law. Well, the law is just a portion of the Old Testament. It's not the whole the Old Testament. And so people have totally just kind of kicked it to the side and said, I want to focus on the New Testament. Now, as a new creation believer, you should camp around the New Testament because that's written to you. Amen? That's written to you. But there are people that have totally cast aside all Old Testament thought, all Old Testament, and said, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to study it. And so they begin... To say, well, that's been proven false. That's not true history. Listen, my friend. If Genesis is not true history, then John 3.16 is compromised. See, if you cannot accept the fact that the first, see, people, they, they like Genesis 1, they like Genesis 2, they're okay with Genesis 3, but you get 4 to 11, eh, got some problems with that. People do. But I'm here to tell you 4 through 11 is probably the most important chapters in this time and era in which we live in today because it's a repeat of what's going on now. Amen? God declares the end from the beginning. And praise God, when you see from the 12th chapter to the 1st chapter, if you do that backwards, that's the entire, the entire story of redemption going backwards. Amen? The establishment of a one-world religion in, in the 11th chapter. Amen? The destruction of that. And then, praise God, a, a Garden of Eden. Amen. You begin to see that it begins to show the end from the beginning. So we're going to talk about some things that uh, might be a little deep. But I've told you that I'm not going to protect you from your Bible. Amen. Is that all right? Okay. All right. So for the next four weeks... We're going to rock and roll. Okay, so I brought my marker board back. How many appreciate the marker board? All right, so we're going to have the marker board here. And so we've got to... 
We've got to understand that uh, the Bible is our lens. It's meant to tweak the way we see the world. And most people, like I said, have a devotional relationship with the Bible. And that is wonderful and it's a good place to start. But, you know, most people say, well, how do I get the most out of my Bible? You read it until it reads you. You read it until it becomes a dialogue. It becomes a conversation. Now, most people haven't got to that point. You've got to realize that when you sit down with this word, you're sitting down with Jesus. When you're sitting down with this word, you're seeing the face of Jesus. This is his words to you. Amen? And so it's vital and important for you not just to have your 15 minutes or your five chapters or your two chapters. The important part is that you're having a dialogue with God as you're reading the scriptures. Now, that doesn't happen initially when you begin to start. There has to be a time in which you discipline yourself. And then as you begin to get in that discipline, it's just like with a relationship. When I was dating my, my, my wife, you know, in high school, I had to get to know her. And it required discipline on my part through phone calls. And we didn't have cell phones in those days. We had those phones with the big long cords, you know, that you'd go and you'd hide under the bed and so you could talk in the middle of the night. And you'd talk and you'd talk. And it wasn't always great. It wasn't always like, oh my gosh, I'm hanging on every word. Sometimes there was silence. And you'd say, are you still there? But what were you doing? You were cultivating a relationship. You were getting used to their presence. You were getting used to their personality. You were getting used to their nuances. And it's the same way in the things of God. You've got to be able to sit. You've got to be able to take time and disengage and begin to engage in a, in a dialogue with the Lord through the Word. Now, there are people who say, well, I don't, I don't know why I'm saying this, but this is by the Spirit of the Lord. They'll say stuff like this. Well, I don't read the Bible much, but I pray. Okay, well, you're not praying properly if it's not guided by the Word. See, how can you pray properly if you don't know what the Word says about a situation? About what, you know, no, the Word is basic, the basis of your prayer life. Yes. Because this, in, this teaches me how to talk to God. Yeah. Yeah. It teaches me how to interact with Him. It teaches, you know, otherwise you may be praying amiss. And there's a lot of times that your prayers aren't answered just simply because of ignorance. Because you're ignorant of what God's disposition is towards you. You might be praying for healing right now. God, heal me, heal me, heal me. Not realizing that God has already healed you in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? Yes. So we, we've got to understand that it's the Word that is the lens. The Word gives us x-ray vision. And we've got to stop having this. Now, I'm using this word devotional because it's, a, it, it's really where the mindset is. 
Well, I got to get my five chapters in or I just don't feel like I've done. See, that kind of mindset is taking the life out of relationship you have with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that there's not discipline that comes into it. And there are times that I come to the Bible that it might be dry to me. But I keep digging. And I keep searching. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask and keep on it. Come on now. There's times when you just got to keep digging and get down to bedrock. And then the thing becomes open to you. You begin to realize that this is different than any literature that we have in this world today. That it begins to read me. It begins to talk to me. The Bible says that the commandments and statutes of the Lord will wake you up in the morning. Will talk to you in your bed. Will talk to you as you're driving your car and going about the busyness of your day. The Word of God will speak to you. Because it's alive. It's alive. Amen. It's alive. So we've got to get a hold of God's original design. All the chaos that we're experiencing in our world today. The identity crisis that is in our culture. The fact that people are continuing to rebel against God's divine order. And wanting to bring chaos and disorientation to the world today. And it all goes back to the beginning. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. Are you sure you're ready? Okay. Let's go Genesis 1-1. Do we have it there? All right. Praise God. As you can see on my diagram, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1-1 right here. And we're going to be looking at the creation of the heavens and the earth, okay? So here's very, very important. People will take this scripture and you kind of, it's kind of like John 3.16. It's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of been said so much that we've kind of lost the, the, uh, the excitement about it, okay? Or the gravity of it, okay? Now this is absolutely a life-transforming scripture right here. Because it goes against the polytheism that is in the world today. And in fact, when the Hebrews heard it for the first time, it delineated them and was a complete, absolute, and utter paradigm shift. Because they had been raised in Egypt. Egypt followed multiplicity of gods. And so when God makes this statement, he makes this first statement, it's a polemic. And what is a polemic? A polemic is an argument that goes against a particular paradigm or philosophy of thought. So they had lived their whole lives under Ra, under, uh, you know, all of the various Egyptian gods. Their whole culture, education, and transactions in business, and even their subsequent slavery was all based upon these fallen gods. 
And in fact, the judgment that came upon Egypt wasn't just simply upon the people of Egypt to free the children of Israel. It was a judgment against the gods of Egypt. Now people will say, well, you don't need to be talking about gods again. But the gods are coming back. People think, well, that's back when people were ignorant. We can't even write cursive today. Come on now. We think we're so elevated and so enlightened and erudite. And we are a diminished version of previous generations. And we think that these people were ignorant and stupid. They weren't. It was a different economy, and I'm going to explain to you by this board. Notice what it says. In the beginning. Okay, now this is a polemic because for 1,600 to close to 2,000 years, this is not the narrative. Because when Adam transgressed and joined with Satan, the kingdoms of the world became one with the devil. And the devil's narrative was the main narrative. And he used the law of sin and death to master the human race through the fear of death. And Satan believed that if he could hold mankind in a death State, which is not just the absence of life, but it is a quality of existence. If he could keep man in death's throes. That's the reason why God said the minute that Adam transgressed, he cast them out of the garden because he did not want them to eat of the tree of life. And the reason why he wanted to do that is not to withhold from them, not to, you know, demean them or punish them, but to keep them from living in a fallen existence throughout eternity. And man in a fallen existence throughout eternity means that Satan rules and reigns throughout eternity. People say, well, why does Satan continue to try to overcome God? Doesn't he know that he's outmatched and outwitted? He knows that real well. But he still believes he can win. Make no mistakes. Satan is a legalist. He understands that if he can outwit and outmaneuver God and get God... To go outside of his character and outside of his nature and alter one jot or one tittle of his word, then it gives him legal access to rule and reign. That God, because of the compromise within himself, would cause utter and absolute chaos in his creation, thereby making him the prince of chaos for all time. He knows. The Bible says that the entire creation is held by the word 
of his power. We have to understand that every you know, people say, well, why doesn't God just, you know, just start clean slate, just knock everything out? Because God has set his word above his very own name. God is a just God. He is a righteous God. And he has a plan that he is bringing forth. He set the parameters. Satan, like a good lawyer, begins to try to use that law against the judge. Do you understand that? And so what I'm going to try to explain to you in the short times that we're here today, till about 4 o'clock. I'm just kidding. Some of you look very worried. Is to explain to you that God is absolutely good. And that God is not the reason for your troubles. God is your answer and your solution. God is not your problem. And I sense heavy hearts here today. People questioning God and questioning situations in their lives in which they believe that God was permissive in the sense that he allowed certain things. We have to understand the way God set this up. And we have to be assured of the fact that he is just and righteous and good and he desires to do it in our lives. But the world in which we live in, the system in which we thrive in, was not created by him. Come on, you got people have trouble with that. I mean, I, I could say that a million times to people because they think God's in control of everything. How many wrestle with delegation? I mean, most people wrestle with delegation in some way, especially if you have a business or a church or something, you, you, you know, giving it over, giving authority over. To someone else to act on your behest or act upon your stead. Sometimes that's very difficult for people to do. But God doesn't have that difficulty. And when God created man, he delegated. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, okay. All right, so, so in the beginning... Okay, that's very interesting because in the Septuagint, it says in the Kronos. Now, some of you will get that here in a minute. It's almost as if God is using the language to come against the narrative of the creation stories of other gods. He's saying, listen, you heard this, but this is what really happened. And he continues to do that throughout the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. He is talking about narratives that they were not privy to. Things that were obfuscated or given a, perf- a lens that wasn't accurate. It's almost like our media today. Information comes through and basically they want to create a wall... And they want to punch holes in the wall and say, I want you to see this, but you can only see it through this hole. Right. Come on. That's good. That's good. 
And so you don't see everything. You don't see the motivation. And so the whole purpose of Satan is to diminish God and to cause him to be portrayed in a way that people think that he is angry and mean and judgmental and critical. And that he likes to throw thunderbolts your direction when you think of yourself more highly, to get you off of your high horse, to take you down to size. They believe and try to share with you that he puts disease on people to teach them lessons and causes divorces to cause them to draw closer to God. But I'm here to tell you, Nothing could be further from the truth. Last year, my wife struggled with the death of her father. And it was a slow, painful death. Because when you get diagnosed with Alzheimer's, It is a prolonged year after year after year diminishment and corruption of the individual that you once knew and loved. And I remember we would cry out to God and we'd say, God, why? How many know what I'm talking about? God, why did you allow this to happen? Why is this happening to us? We fear you. We live for you. We, you know, we pray to you. We, we seek your face. We live for you. And why are we being touched with this situation? And I remember my wife woke up and she had an experience with the Lord and she shared it with me. And the Lord showed her. I don't know how he did it. But he showed her that he was so far removed from what was going on in there, he had no direct hand in the destruction. Come on now. No direct connection. But he was there to receive and to help and to aid as we were allowing him to do. Come on now. Get a hold of it. Listen, guys. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe it's our decisions. Maybe it's what we chose to believe. Maybe their limitations that are on my life are self-imposed. <laughs> Absolutely. Just maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe it's not God's fault at all. Just maybe. Oh, some of you are having trouble with this. I can tell. You have, come on, just get on the bunk and roll. Come on, get on there. Just get on it. Ride this thing, brother. Ride it. It'll take you to glory. 
See, people don't want to take responsibility for their life. They don't want to take responsibility for what they believe. Oh, come on. See, people have a responsibility to grow and to learn the Word of God. And when they refuse to do so, it has ramifications. It just does. In the beginning... God. Amen. Now, this is not just any name for God. This is not Yahweh. This is not Jehovah. This is not El Shaddai. This is not El Elyon. This is Elohim. Now, I've taught you well. Have I not taught you well? Elohim is not a personal name of God. Elohim has to do with classification of being. It has to do with location. It shows you that someone from a different location in a different dimension, in a different dimensionality, created what we can touch, taste, see, hear, and smell. So something that is intangible in another realm created the tangibility that we now abide in. So in the beginning, in Kronos, which Kronos was the main titan, that was the god of time to the Greeks. In the Egyptian pantheon, it was Toth. Okay? So they were used to these being the gods of creation. And God says, no, you've heard it wrong. You've heard it wrong. You've been given a lie. You've been deceived because in the beginning Elohim created. And that means to create something from nothing. That's what that Hebrew word means. To create absolutely something from absolute nothingness. So it's talking about a different type of creation than verses 4 through 26. Because verses 4 through 26 talks about creation from something that is already made. Oh, that's going to be a clue here in just a minute. Okay? Elohim. A spirit creation outside of creation created creation. That means to tell that God is not in the trees. Absolutely. Oh, you don't want to cut that down. God's in there. God's in them deer. You stop shooting them. Come on. Do you, have you heard people talk that yes. way? Yes. Yeah. No. God is not one with his creation. It is not one-ism. God is separate. But he's the artist. So therefore I can see him in the creation. But he is not the creation. Now there's a big, huge, new age thought. 
that God's in everything. And God's in everybody. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that God is in your fallen, sinful, Adamite neighbor. In fact, the book of Ephesians says that while we were, you know, Gentiles, we were alienated from the life of God and that we were without God in this world. There are people right now that you associate with that are without God. God is not in them. Well, you know, I just believe God's in everybody. Well, I would agree that God's might be in, but not God of the Bible. Only when we receive Christ and become new creations does God abide in us. We were created to be imagers of God, but through sin, corruption came, which now humanity is not being built into the image. Humanity is being built into the image of Satan, into the image of the beast. It is only through the recreative works of Jesus Christ that we see the image of Jesus that is on the inside of us through His Word and are changed and transformed from glory to glory into that same image. Jesus' work is restoring the image. Are you with me? Okay, all right. Boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to get a drink. Are you with me? Okay, now notice it says he created the heavens. Now, if you've got a King James Version, it says heaven. That is not accurate. It is not singular, it's plural. Heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Okay, so we know from the scripture in the Second Corinthians chapter 12, that the Apostle Paul talks about a time in which he begins to not identify it as himself, but it is him. He was taken up to what? The third heaven. Okay? Now, we need to understand that we got to go with what the Bible says. There are some teachers out there that will teach you that there's seven. In fact, the, the Muslims will teach you that there's seven heaven. Seven heaven is the name of a strip club. It's not biblical. Yeah. All right. The Bible talks about three heavens. Amen. Now, the first heaven is the atmosphere that surrounds this world. It's the atmosphere that uh, is at the top of the mountains. In fact, the word... For air in the Greek absolutely just means to the top of Mount Olympus. That's what it means. So we can talk about that this, you know, the first heavens is the initial skies that we're able to visibly see. The second heaven is outer space. It is the place where angelic hosts dwell. And in fact, your, your whole scheme, your whole scheme of planets and, uh, and various constellations are all the patchwork and artwork and the furniture of the angelic realm. And in fact, the messages within the stars are meant to signify different segments of the angelic realm. In fact, 
astronomy was not meant to create astrology, which is a religion of worshiping the stars and constellations, but the actual message that is in those constellations is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each symbol and each house, if you will, that is in our various constellations are basically uh, like flags of regiments of angels. Oh, come on now. So we need to understand that there are regiments of angels. Now, let's look at something here. I'm running out of time, okay? So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at verse number 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the... What's that next word? What's that next word? Now, most people will tell you, or most Bible expositors that don't believe in the supernatural worldview of the Bible, will tell you that that has to do with constellations and planets. But that is not what that word means. The word host there comes from a name of the Lord, that he is the Lord of the Seboeth, or the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. So when he created this earth realm, he backed it up with angelic host to run it and to oversee it. God delegates. I said God delegates. Does God need to delegate? He says, I am the Lord. I need no other. He says, I am all-knowing, I am all-powerful, I don't need it. But God loves by His nature to work with His creation. In fact, He loves working with you. He loves working with you. He really gets His kicks by allowing you. There's nothing that makes God happier than a blood-bought, spirit-filled, new creation person walking in all that Jesus purchased for them and keeping their foot on the devil's neck. God loves it. And in fact, he gives us the ability and the authority to walk in this but yet we have to initiate and do it. Everybody's waiting on God. God's waiting on you. God's done everything he's going to do about your problem. He's done everything he's going to do about your situation. You need to appropriate what he has already done. Isn't it amazing that in the creation account, that God created life and oxygen and the sun and all of these wonderful things, And he got the earth in a place where it could house his creation. See, that's the way God works. God didn't put Adam in and say, oh, he can't breathe. I got to get some oxygen. I forgot. No, he creates the environment first, and then he places the man in the environment. It's the same is true for your life. Oh, I'm here to tell you, my friends, that before you were born, there was a book written about you. 
There was a book written by God. God looked at that. He wrote that. He looked at the inside of Kirby Counts, and he said, you know what, I'm going to number his days, and I'm going to write his days out. Now, it's up to Kirby whether he's going to follow the book or whether he's going to follow Kirby's own book. See, you can write your own book. See, it's only through Christ and through His Word that I get to the revealing of what God has called me to do. But He's already written it out. He's already written chapters out and people that you're supposed to know and people you're supposed to be connected with and situations in your life. And He's given you everything you need to overcome any situation that you find yourself in this life. So that means if God didn't have to create no more cows, God is not creating any more cows. He's not creating any more fish. He's not creating any more rain. God doesn't create rain. Rain is on a cyclical circle. He put everything on cycles. Amen. So he puts everything on a cycle. He puts everything in there, and we just tap into that. Everything, you know, man doesn't create, man discovers. That's what we do. We discover what God has already created. It's already been created by God. There's nothing that I can think of. There's nothing that I can surmise or my imagination can go nowhere other than what God has already made. Now we kind of think, well, I can think of some things. Well, you're not able to think of those things without the Lord. There's no no way. He's created all things, visible and invisible. They're all created by him. But we notice that the hosts were created to, there's a host that is created exclusively for this earth realm. They're created to protect it and to watch over it and to cause God's design and will to be brought forth. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's look at another scripture. Let's look at another scripture. Let me see if I can find it here. In Job. Are you with me? I'm off my notes, guys. I'm off my rocker. <clears throat> See, we've got to understand the role of an imager. The role of an imager. It says that man was created in God's image and likeness. Why was that? If you study the word image in the original language, it means idol. In fact, it's used of the word idol. Okay? So what, what does that denote? Well, in the times, you know, previous, kings and dignitaries believed they were gods. They believed they were gods. Egypt, uh, you know, Pharaoh believed that he was a god. And so to mark their territory, they would erect statues in their image. And even though that image was not the emperor, it was not the king, it was not, when people looked at it, it held the same authority. You're not getting this. 
See, they knew when they crossed that line, they were coming in to the territory of that king, and there were circumstances. So God says, you know what, and we're going to talk about the angelic rebellion here in a minute, but, but I'm getting ahead of myself because this is so good. So God, after the angelic rebellion, decides to bring humanity in and elevate humanity above. He says, it didn't work so well with this. I'm going to, I'm going to create man, and I want to make him in my image and in my likeness. In fact, he says, let us. Now, what is he talking to? Is he talking to the Trinity there? No. Trinity's in unity. It's not like they have to get together and vote. He's talking to the angelic realm. He's talking to, because when you see angels in the Bible, they look like us. They have variations and differences, but they look like us. In fact, you know what? God looks like you. Yes. Yes. You look like God. Yes. People tend to forget that. In fact, when Ezekiel, in the first chapter, he sees God coming out of the sky, and he says, I saw someone sitting on a throne look like Adam. That's the word he uses. What well, isn't that we have made... God in our image, we're made in His. And some theologians will say, well, when you put hands and backside and, you know, face and stuff, you're, you're bringing anthropomorphic terms to help us small-minded people to understand certain things that we can relate to. No, the Bible is a literal book. If God says he has a hand, he's got a hand. If God, oh, come on now. I mean, you remember when, when, he, when uh, Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. He says, you know what? You're not going to be able to look on my face and live. He said, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to put my hand. And you can see my back parts. Come on now. You see my back parts. Well, God's got back parts. If you've got back parts, he's got back parts. If you've got a hand, he's got a hand. He said, you know, he created Adam out of the Adma. The Adma is the earth. So, in order to take dominion over this new physical creation, God creates from the physical creation a composite drawing of himself. Oh, come on now. He creates a composite drawing of himself. He fashions it. The Lord God, which is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, fashions Adam out of the dust of the ground, out of the red clay, because the word Adam means red man. And he breathes the breath of lives into his nostrils. And Adam becomes what? A living soul. It's very important for you to understand that. The living part is the spirit. The soul is a part that's your mind, will, and emotions. He was a living spirit, soul, and physical body. 
So what God was doing, because he knew that there was still angelic rebellion, he knew that in the universe was still in chaos, he brought order to the earth and then filled the earth with his image. Oh my gosh, you don't... He filled the earth with his image so that any angel that would show up in the earth realm was confronted with the fact that there is an image, a likeness that will remind them that God, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen. I'm telling you, this is rich stuff. Now, when you see God by the prophets, you see that God was luminous. That the exact language is, is that he had biophotons. Did you know that you have residual biophotons in your body? And that some of the parts of your insides glow? You want to know why? Because when sin came, we diminished and corrupted. And in fact, how many have what is known, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, granite, granite countertops. Did you know that you could take a Geiger counter and you could get a slight reading on that? Because all the earth was created with a divine glow. You were created with a divine glow. In fact, you glowed. Every time an angel shows up, they're glowing. They're called fire. That doesn't mean that they're flames. and just means that they glowed like fire. Anytime God shows up, and this is something that you've got to understand. The earth is so out of proportion with its creator that when he shows up, he shows up as a flame of fire. An all-consuming fire. So much so that when he came down to the mountain to give Moses the Ten Commandments and begin to speak with him, the whole mountain burned. Now I'm here to tell you, friends, that the original body that Adam and Eve had was like God's. In the sense... That it glowed, it was luminous, and the exact language is, when describing God, it was as if electricity shot through his joints. Now here's the problem that we have in the modern church. We have people that are sitting under preaching that do not understand nor are taught that they have a problem. 
There are people that just receive Jesus because, well, I guess I just need to do it, you know. They don't really understand that it's the process or the step forward to the true ascension because man has been told through uh, Darwinism and through eugenics that we are in process of evolving into higher states of consciousness and the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches the direct opposite that we fell from something. I'm telling you, when Jesus walked the earth, people were amazed at what he was able to do. But guess what? He did it as the last Adam. That means that walking on water and things of that nature was something Adam couldn't do. He was complete in dominance over the physical creation. In fact, being made from the earth, now let's get a hold of this. Being made from the earth meant that everything that he did affected the earth he came from. Amen? And he's an imager of God. Now we know that that image was lost through the fall. Because when it says that Adam begat Seth in the fourth chapter of Genesis, it says that Seth was made after his image. His image was a corrupted image of the original image of God. Adam was a son of God because he was a direct creation of God. Angels are sons of God because they are a direct, they are a direct creation of God. Amen? Not everything qualifies that God's created. It qualifies to be a son of God. Only direct creations. Do you understand that? So what we have to understand is this. I'll tell you, I haven't even gotten through any of this. So that tells us this. That we are procreated. Patrick was procreated by his parents that were procreated by their parents, which was procreated by their parents. Because of the corruption of the genome, and the fact that it isn't just about being forgiven of sins, it's also the fact that God wants to restore the image, the true image of God on the inside. And it takes the forgiveness of sins for God to work in you. That means that you are a lesser version of your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and the original Drake. You understand what I'm saying? Because the bloodline comes through the male. You understand that? So we're constantly in a state of diminishment. So that tells me this. The corruption of humanity is not God's fault. Adam's transgression brought death. Death is a quality of life. It's a quality of existence. It means that you are separated from the source that you were created from. Now we have, well, we all have cell phones, right? Your cell phone is happy when it's on the charger. 
You want to know why it's happy? Because it doesn't diminish or degrade while it is on the charger. But once it's taken off the charger, it goes into a state of corruption. The battery begins to lose its ability to maintain the processes and programs that are in the phone. Man separated from his source and continued to exist in a degraded, compromised state, thereby not giving them the ability to continue in the processes and programs that they were originally intended to operate in. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And he's hooked up. And he didn't come to prove that he was God. He came to be the last Adam. God manifest in flesh. He didn't do his miracles as God. He did his miracles as a man anointed by the Spirit of God. Well, prove that to me, Pastor. Acts 10.38. How God anointed. Well, if he was operating in God powers, he wouldn't need an anointing from God. He'd just operate in his natural. See, God doesn't need an anointing. He is the anointing. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed help. Just like you need help. Because Jesus, as we've told you over and 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 over again, that Jesus wasn't just an example for us. It's an example of us. You're an imager. If you're born again, the image is restoring on the inside of you from glory to glory. You're being transformed and changed. And that's the reason why some of you that have just recently come to Christ, you're realizing that there's just a difference. There's a difference in the way you see. There's a difference in the way you hear. There's a difference in the way you understand. There's a difference in the way you comprehend. Why? Because that new creation life on the inside of you. is forming. And you're being restored from the inside out. And one of these days, Jesus is going to split the sky and your body's going to be changed like that. And it's going to be a body that can go through walls, that can translate. Listen, it can eat, but you don't need to eat. Just eat for enjoyment. Some of you are doing that already. Hello. So listen, we're not going to become wispy clouded things. And God is not a wispy cloud. Just because God is spirit doesn't mean that he doesn't have materiality. It's just a different type of material. 
You have that material on the inside of you if you're born again. You have the spirit material. Jesus came to put you back on the charger. And by putting you back on the charger, he awakens the processes and the programs and the knowledge. See, revelation knowledge, come on, listen to me here. Revelation knowledge is not something outside of you coming in. Revelation knowledge is something you already knew being revealed. Have you ever heard a message? And you go, I knew that. But you couldn't, you couldn't articulate it. You just, yeah, yeah, I know that. But it's because that unction's on the inside of you. The Bible calls that in First uh, John. says you have an unction and you need not that any man should teach you. Now that doesn't mean that you don't need to be taught. It just simply means that you can know things without understanding them. You want to know why? Because you're a spirit creation. Oh, godly. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Are you getting a hold of this? So you've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to realize that when God breathed the breath of life, he breathed his seed of his life inside, you see, a, a, a vessel made of clay. Now, I'm going to close with this. When you were born again, you became classified as a son of God. You want to know why? Because in this damaged, corrupted temple here, our tabernacle, God, through the word of his power and through the word of the gospel, and planted and breathed in you. The DNA, the the encrypted information that generated, regenerated your spirit and brought him back into existence. To life. On the outside, we look in the mirror and we say, I don't look like a son of God. (laughs) No, you look like the same old... Come on now, because when you got born again, you didn't get more handsome. Well, maybe, maybe so. Patrick said, yes, I did. So uh, I'll take him at his word. <laughs> Just kidding. You didn't, if you had a pug nose, you still had a pug nose. If you're still overweight, you're still overweight. Come on now. You had old crooked toes. You still had old crooked toes. Nothing changed physically. But on the inside, you became a direct creation of God. You were made alive with his life. God came to dwell on the inside of Bill Rambo. And is never going to leave. Now you might do some stuff on the outside that might grieve him. But he's not leaving. 
You might make some decisions on the outside that he's saying, Bill, you don't need to make that decision. You shouldn't be doing that. But he's not going to leave. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, all that the Father has is mine. And there is nothing that he will be able to pry Bill out of my hand. Once he has us, he's got us. Come on now. God's commitment to us is continuous, regardless of whether we are living for him at that time or regardless of whether we are or are not. God's commitment is forever. And forever and forever and forever. That means the restorative power of the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. It is only through the unlocking of the Word of God and your continuous seat in His presence that begins to bring about the awareness of what you have on the inside of you. There are people that are longing for a deeper walk with the Lord. They're longing for a more intimate relationship with the Lord. They're longing and operating to operate as they were originally intended. They know that eternity has been placed in their hearts. They cannot articulate it. They don't understand it. But yet they know it's there. In your greatest failure, you know, as a believer, that there's greatness on the inside of you. You know that there is something better. And it's only through this book right here. Well, I don't understand that. I don't like to read. Learn to like it. You've got to stop seeing this as a religious exercise and see this as an absolute integral part of your life. If you're going to go anywhere and do anything in this life, the Word has to be the primary. Come on now. Are you with me? Are you getting anything out of this? I wrote that board up and didn't even get to use it. But oh my goodness. In a nutshell, we know that the original creation was brought into chaos by the fall of Lucifer. We know that God reestablished the earth. The earth wasn't the earth was destroyed. It was without form and void, which means utter and absolute destruction. It was recreated in the fourth verse of Genesis 1 down to the 26th verse. It was restored. Man was set up in a garden. Satan, the one who brought about the chaos, comes in to reassert himself in the human race. He gets in league with Adam and begins to create a world. That is unlike anything you have ever read about or known or seen. It is something that is coming upon the earth in these last days. But it's something that we can only imagine. Tolkien had pieces of it. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis had pieces of it. Any sci-fi writer had pieces of it. 
but it was a world like you had never imagined. And we'll talk about that as we progress down this. That chaos came in to the world. And God had to recreate what he had lost. And then Adam and Satan created a world that had to be flooded. Now people will say, well, God is a, is a mean God because he just destroyed people. With, no, we're talking about preserving humanity. We're not talking about someone that just says, you know, I've had it with you. You know, like we do. I've had it with you. Get out of my life. No, that's not the way God works. God is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. So we don't believe this. We don't believe this at all. He preserved the human race, which was destined for extinction from Genesis 3. The minute Adam partake of that fruit, man is now on the extinction road. We need to see Jesus not just as this overbearing God that's trying to get us to live right and do right. We need to see him as what he prizes us to see him as, as our rescuer, as our savior. But in this modern world, we have generations of people that do not believe they need rescue. Do not believe they need a Savior. Because they don't understand that what happened in that chaos event happened again. When, when Lucifer created an invisible world of domination. The age of the Nephilim was a physical world of domination. Where they were dominated by hybrid beings. But the flood took them out of the picture. And now this new world in which you and I live in. Has an an invisible prison. But oh look at the cross. Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. We're going to talk about that. Amen. Praise God. He destroyed it. He destroyed it just like the original chaos destroyed the world. He destroyed the the work of the devil. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. See, guys, we don't understand the freedom that we have. We don't understand the fact that we're truly free. We're still operating in mindsets that we had while we were in prison. The whole religious system of that day, we'll talk about it. The whole religious system of that day was based on gods and goddesses. God put himself in the fray by creating the temple. And creating, you see, the law and the sacrifices. But I'm here to tell you when Jesus rose from the dead, He destroyed every, absolutely every religious construct, even Judaism. Yeah. 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 
The Apostle Paul, in his epistles, is telling you the past is gone. He's saying, what time is it? It's the time of the new creation. It's the time of the grace of God. It's the time of the power of the gospel. It's the time to rise up in the risen Jesus. Even God destroyed his own temple. Because it had been eradicated. Because when Jesus hung on that cross and he said, it is finished, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, releasing God out of the construct of the law and sacrifices and releasing him to come into the hearts of men and women that would receive his Messiah, making them new creations. New species of beings that have never existed before. Oh, hallelujah. Are we okay? You're not bored. Okay, because I'm telling you, the enemy just. Are you getting a hold of this? Oh, we've got a lot more to say, so I encourage you to be with us. Let's just, let, you know, I, I want to stir your thinking up. Because last year we, we preached the pristine standard of the cross. And when we preached the pristine standard of the cross, things happen. In fact, it was the own teaching of cross-eyed that contributed to my healing and health. It brought me a new heart. It's because I got my eyes off of the things that were distracting me, and I got them on the cross. Well, right now, we need to get our eyes on the pristine triumph of Jesus. That's the focus. Jesus gave Satan an undeniable, irreversible defeat. But we've got to believe that. Well, if he did, why is he in my house? Why is he in my kids? Why is he in my finances? Why is he in there? Well, you've got to understand that he doesn't have the authority to be there. But you give permission to him through ignorance or disobedience. Just not knowing. Some people just don't know. They don't know their authority. We're going to talk about that. Amen? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. <clears throat> I could preach about this all day long. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Jesus victorious. Amen. Amen. Jesus victorious. Oh, you need to be saying that. Jesus is your victory. Jesus is your victory. What he's done, what he did, he did for you. And he did it as you. 
Because he's one with us, and we're one with him. If you're a believer here, he did it as you. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, the Lord is good. Did you get anything out of that today? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We'll get to the board. I promise you. But if you're here and you don't know the Lord, the victory of Jesus is yours. But it requires you to make a commitment. It requires you to believe what Jesus did and make a declaration from that belief that he becomes your Lord. And when he becomes your Lord, he becomes your rescuer. He becomes your Savior. We're going to give you an opportunity to pledge your allegiance to the only true victor, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and and you say, you know what? I'm backslidden. And there's nobody more miserable than a backslidden Christian. And the reason why is, is you go against your nature and everything that you do. You know you should be doing it. It it dogs you. It it hounds you. It makes you absolutely miserable. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a word of advice. Surrender. Surrender to your gifting. Surrender to your call. Surrender to what God has for you. You'll be a lot happier. Amen. So we're going to have ministers that are going to be up at either side here ready to receive you if you need to make a prayer for any of those. I'm telling you what, God has supernaturally empowered you through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've not received that, then I can't think of a better day to receive. If you need healing in your body, did you know that he's still Jehovah Rapha and he's never retired from that? Amen? So I would encourage you to come up and and receive what you need from the Lord And if you have a marriage issues, you're having something that you need prayer for, these people are here to aid and help you. We also have our altars here that you can take matters into your own hand because no one has more credibility with God and more access to God than you do. And if you choose to do that, we'll we'll be blessed to just aid and help you there. We also have communion that's sitting here. We want you to be able to take communion anytime you feel like it. And so even during worship, you can come up here and get these communion cups, and you can begin to take communion even while worship is going on. You can also come up and use our altar in order to do so. There's been times that communion has taken me, has broke me through certain things. It has, you know, caused certain things to, to, you know, to come to pass in my life through the observance of communion. So it's important that we get in and we start activating See, I'm bringing awareness. It's time to activate. And when you see the devil creeping around your property, you say, you know what? I have authority in the name of Jesus. I'm speaking to you right now. You leave right now in the name of Jesus. Take your authority. Begin to use what Jesus has given you. Amen? Hallelujah. We've had a wonderful time with Galatians on Wednesday nights. I encourage you, be here on Wednesdays. Life-changing, life-altering stuff. Amen? Amen. How many have been enriched by that? Hallelujah. Five of you, Kevin. Five. It's good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord prosper and protect you. As we go forth in our day, know that you've received inside information. Amen. God will back this information, and the enemy will oppose it.
So be ready for both. Amen? God bless you. You're dismissed.